Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. Lock the gate! All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I am Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. How's it going? I I don't know how long I can talk because I have uh, stitches in my mouth. I have stitches in my mouth. I have like four or five stitches in my mouth right now. Got them this morning. I could tell you about what happened or what it is, but it might gross you out, so let's ease into it. Let's ease into it. I'd like to uh, say hello to everybody down in Florida. If you can hear me, I'm, I've been getting emails from people who are listening to the show. Uh, it's kind of taking their mind off the the waiting for power or whatever. I appreciate that. I hope you're okay. I hope every, everybody made it through down there. And now the horrible repair and restoration and rebuilding and just getting back to some semblance of uh, reality for a lot of people reality normalcy uh just uh, for a lot of people is going to be a long a long stretch it's going to be a long haul i'm sorry you went through that my mother's back online back uh i heard from her she's down there and in the hollywood area and it was intermittent uh hearing from her and wondering how she was doing uh, i never really texted i don't text her that much on purpose or and, i don't initiate many textings with my mother, but I, I started uh, during the uh, the hurricane and, and uh, there were times where she wouldn't get back to me and I was concerned, but uh, it worked out and I'm glad uh, I'm glad she's okay and that her home's okay. It's a little messy around where she lives, but uh, just saying, I hope, I hope uh, you're doing all right and, uh, and the struggle ahead is not too horrible and if it is that, that you know, you got a lot of support and help to get through it, Okay. That's what I'm saying. And I'm, I'm glad you're okay, Mom. I have not heard from my father. He was nowhere near the hurricanes. He's, uh, he's in New Mexico. But I think he might be mad at me again. I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm a little hard on the old man in the specials occasionally, but I thought it was endearing enough this time. I get along fine with him. But, you know, they, you, they're going to take the hit. Sometimes the folks take the hit in the comedy. And again, uh, I'm, I'm astounded and grateful and, uh, and happy that you're all enjoying the special, Too Real, on Netflix so much. I, I do. I'm excited. I'm excited about it. Makes me feel good. It's getting a very nice response. As I said before, I'll keep saying it. You can watch it on Netflix. Some people are complaining that 
after they watch my show, it suggests the Jeff Dunham special. I have nothing to do with that, certainly. I did not tell Netflix, look, if you're going to promote me and people watch me first, make sure Jeff and the puppets get, you know, shout out at the end or, you know, at least people maybe, maybe just have that special start right after mine for Jeff and the puppets. I did not say that. I'm not going to judge anybody, but I, I just want you to know I had nothing to do with it, with that being uh, sort of piggybacked. Yeah, I guess it does refer people back to uh, to Thinky Pain as well on Netflix, and you can get the Epic special on demand at Epics, or you can get that uh, more later. Uh, that's the special in between Thinky Pain and Too Real. You can get that on iTunes. So enjoy all three Mark Maron specials, and soon enjoy the WTF book. So what's wrong with my mouth? It hurts. My mouth hurts. It, it definitely hurts. Look, I, I, but do, before I get to my mouth, um, we, have, we have Kathy Bates on the show today, and we have uh, Graham Elwood is here, to, a fellow podcaster, to talk about his podcasting documentary. Uh, so my mouth, yeah, I went to the uh, oral surgeon today because I don't know, I don't think I ever had one of these things since I've been on the show. And I don't know if anybody gets them. When I talk about them, it's like nobody gets them. A muco, muco seal. What they are is like, I think because of my bites fucked up and sometimes I bite my lip funny, it's basically a clogged or crushed salivary gland that can no longer salivate. So it just kind of fills up like a blister and pops and fills up again. Just a, a never ending process. Heals, fills up again. Got to get them removed. Well, I went and I, and I just thought it'd be a quick and easy thing. But this, uh, this gland, I guess, was huge and uh i just thought i didn't know when it was going to stop like they took a lot of meat out of my face inside sorry if you're eating they do a local anesthetic right and and then they just start going at it you know there's an assistant this woman is pulling up my um, on my lip while the doc dr gooey is his name out here in pasadena he's cutting away on my inner mouth and it's going on for a while and you can see gauze i can see you know bloody things being you know pulled up and out and you know in my periphery but then there's small talk you know like he keeps going like are you okay and i'm like yeah okay okay and then he's like uh, so you went uh, running today and i'm like what and he's like oh no no she's she's been running i'm just asking her and i'm like oh okay and then she's like no not today maybe i'll go after her huh and then like just you know he's like oh this is a big one and i'm like yeah me are you talking to me yeah this is a big one we're taking i'm like okay and uh, but i'm not talking very well and then he's like he's talking to her about like you know i like your new car it looks like a good car and she's like yeah it fits better in the parking lot here and i'm like is it i'm awake i'm awake it was like i can understand the chit chat when you're under, you know, full anesthetic, but I'm right there. I mean, I, I, it's nice that you guys are talking, but you know, don't, don't pretend you're not cutting my mouth up. Like it got to the point where I'm like, I'm, you know, I, I literally, I was like, are they just going to start being like, oh, this guy's an idiot, isn't he? I know he looks like an idiot. He says he's on television. I don't know if he's really on television. Man, his mouth is a mess, right? Because I, it was, it was that kind of like, I, I was, I, I was one of those moments where I'm like, hey, I'm not invisible. I, I'd like to be part of the conversation. Thank you. So I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. But I have five stitches in my mouth and hopefully everything's okay because they send them out for a biopsy and, you know, okay. So we'll see. Ugh. I have good things going on in my life, but they're just right, just, you know, like right when you get a bunch of good things going, it's like, don't get too happy. Be afraid of this. So look, Graham Elwood, uh, 
he's been making this movie for a while. It's Earbuds, the podcasting documentary. It's now available on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, and many other on-demand platforms. I hadn't seen Graham in a while. And this was actually a, a lovely conversation with Graham Elwood about the movie, about other stuff. And it continued into the house where it got even heavier and more intense, but we left uh, feeling uh, elevated and and uh, that we had bonded and that, uh, you know, we understood each other. Maybe you can get a glean, maybe you can glean some of that from this discussion. I didn't tape the one in the house. This is me and uh, Grant. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elwood. Graham Elwood, this this motion picture has been in the making for what seems like a decade. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It absolutely feels that way. It's been three and a half years, but every documentary is a... Hey, man, you know, they take time. Well, yeah, I mean, we... I guess this is better because the first documentary I did um, about telling jokes overseas to the troops in Afghanistan. What was that called? Laughganistan. Did I mean, what happened to that? Because I know that what's his name Jordan just made a. Yeah, he made I Am Battle comics. Are so you like, in that? No. Huh. Way to go, Jordan. Wow. <laughs> nice guy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we yeah I did Laughganistan, but that took me. God, that took me five years or something like that six yeah. years so this being three and three years is a uh, was a <laughs> and where, where can you get Afghanistan yeah actually Afghanistan so Comedy Dynamics who's distributing earbuds yeah uh, is also distributing Afghanistan so uh, earbuds is available now on, yeah. on everything and Afghanistan will be available like on Amazon because we were just selling it like at Comedy Film Nerds for a while for just for several oh, years just hard copies you have yeah it. and we sold downloads yeah. but then comedy dynamics goes graham you want us to sell your other film too and i'm like well i don't know i don't know if i give up those 12 downloads a year we're selling a comedy <laughs> filters so <laughs> we we put infrastructure in on the site <laughs> to make it a pay site for this <laughs> so i don't know if i want to give that up i still got a lot of envelopes <laughs> Mancini, I got padded envelopes, and you know, <laughs> yeah. What are we gonna do with those now? I know, I got, I got uh, adhesive labels. Sure, what from you line, I got thousands of them. We have big plans. <laughs> those big goddamn catalogs yeah. from you line. Yeah, we, we're we're gonna go. We're we're gonna make a bundle on I know. this shit. This is gonna be this. Everyone wants to see a comedian cry in a war zone. I mean, so, and so in other words, you're gonna let comedy dynamics. <laughs> See, yes. Go and ahead maybe, and take the load off your back. Yes, so uh, that I maybe we actually pr- break even on the uh, on the Afghanistan. Now I remember when we when you started doing this. It was at 
It was at the podcast festival. The second year of LA Podfest, we started. We were like, let's make one. So we were decided we we're going to do a Kickstarter. So we're like, right. let's get some interviews for like the the, the real or yeah, whatever, yeah, the yeah. promo thing. Yeah. So we st- interviewed some people at that. I think you were one of them. And then we we funded it. The Kickstarter we raised one hundred and forty grand. Oh, you did a reel for the Kickstarter. Yeah, we did a yeah. reel for the Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A Kickstarter reel, and we raised one hundred and forty grand. That was February of two thousand fourteen. Right. And then, so then we shot that whole spring and summer, and then that third year of the festival, that's where we got some other interviews with you as well. But we got right. interviews with you at two 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 festivals in a row. Sure. Well, it's weird at those festivals, like you know, you're running the festival. And you got Mancini running around. And then there's 900 other fucking people going like, hey, man, can we just do an interview? I'm like, who are you? What are we doing? (laughs) But but it's nice. You know, it's like these guys, you set up the room. But like there was a period there where I'm like, I couldn't differentiate. <laughs> Between like, yeah, like is like Graham is this is this any different than that guy over there? Yeah, <laughs> is this the guy who's just having me talking to his iPhone? Yeah, and yeah. four people are going to listen to it, or or is this like a real thing? I, it's a real thing. Or I, I remember that yeah, because we have the we have the uh, at the festival we have the we call it the 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 lab. Yeah. So anyone yeah you can have a show that you do whatever right, sure. and that's a cool thing. So we you know comics come in there, but I are you. And you were like walking around, walking around the room, doing interviews, and you're very, very gracious. So that there's always someone who's like, you're like, oh, all right, does it? Yeah. Who'd you end up talking to? We talked to everybody. You know, it was a really. I got to tell you, making making earbuds was such a cool journey. We interviewed Joe Rogan. We interviewed Aisha Tyler. We talked to Todd Glass, and we, you know, we, we wanted to show the connection between podcasters and fans, as yeah. you know. You know, that's how it evolved. It was originally supposed to be a podcaster, or was it always supposed to be about the podcaster and the fans, or was it just about podcasting? Well, it was initially going to be about podcasting, and then we were like, well, let's, because you know, you've gotten the letters from fans, and you got me through a tough time. Right, yeah. Yeah. And so we tracked some of them down. Oh, you did? And then we also wanted to get the sort of big moments, like we interviewed Todd Glass about coming out on the show, and why he picked this show. Yeah. Instead of comedy filming, so we could have used the goddamn downloads. What an asshole. <laughs> you, you've known him longer than me. <laughs> I mean, what the you fuck? Guys, you guys are better friends. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, but but no, he 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 made some great... I, I got to say, I learned so much from the podcasters. Yeah. It sounds weird because people would... would uh, you, Aisha, Joe Rogan, would articulate things and I go, oh, God, God damn, that's right. <laughs> you know, like you said... You got to show up for people, like pick a time and stick to it because yeah. you're like, people are starting to, they start to count on you. Right. Yeah. And you're like, oh boy. And there, yeah, there is a like, oh God, we got to yeah. release something today. Yeah. So, and then, you know, when Todd talked about the coming out thing, you know, I was like, why did you pick a podcast? I, I think I know why. What did he say? He said, um, you know, he said like, if I'm, on, if I'm doing a four minute, if I'm on panel on like Jimmy Kimmel, that yeah. there's no environment to do that. And I'm not big enough to get interviewed by Barbara Walters. So. Right. But I also think he wanted to get it, you know, one and done. Like he wanted yeah. the entire community to know, like mostly the comics and everybody. So he wouldn't have to email every, yeah, like he just, <laughs> he wanted he wanted him being out to be out there in our world, right? So he, he wouldn't have to do any follow up, <laughs> you know. He's just done. <laughs> One foul swoop. I think there's probably yeah. I'm sure there's some truth to that. Yeah. Um, and also too, I remember I was working with him in Vegas before he recorded it. Uh huh. And I remember we were like in the car, and he was like, "Ah, I got something," and I I go, "You're gay," and he goes, 
huh? I, I go, yeah, ta- what, what, come on. Oh, he was, he was hedging you? He was hedging, like he didn't, like, I've known him a long time, but you know, like a lot but of- But did you know? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you go on the, I went on the road with him a fair I amount. That, I guess that would, yeah. A guy's either complaining about his wife or girlfriend or yeah, trying to get laid. Right. Not Todd. Todd no, 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 I wasn't doing either one of those things. And there was never a, oh, I just met this girl. Oh, yeah. I got this crazy thing on the, there was none of that. So I was just like, oh, he's probably gay. Yeah. And I didn't give a shit. Yeah, right. Sure. You know. But he didn't bring it up either. But he didn't bring it up. <laughs> you didn't bring it up. I didn't bring it up. But so then he was in the car and, and he goes, yeah, I've been talking to Mark. I think I'm going to, I go, the fucking, I, you know, I said to him, I go, look, I'm, I'm a straight guy. So it's easy for me to go, oh, just say it. Who's going to yeah. give a shit? You yeah. know, what do I know? But I said, I think you'll just be happier once you say it. When you, yeah. When you, and, and, and he says it, he says in the film, he goes, you know, I felt lighter. And he, and he goes, I don't know what the fuck Mark does, but he just knows how to interview people and just make you feel. And, and then you guys were very cool. You, you know, we used some clips from it and it was, <laughs> yeah, <it's> just <laughs> good. So you just, the way you, you went into it, it was awesome. So I, it was really oh, good. Good, good. Who yeah. else? Did you talk to Dave Anthony? Uh, yeah, we talked to we talked to Dave Anthony and Greg Barrett about when they were doing oh, yeah. Walk in the Room and Greg mm. Greg broke his sobriety and, and Oh, th- that's in the movie? Oh yeah. Did he tell the story about the dog pills? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh good. So that's out there. So yeah, we got that done. Yeah. No, I got a lot of really heartfelt things. I mean, Hardwick told the story about interviewing his dad and then like several months later his dad passed away. Oh. Yeah. And the response from the podcast community uh-huh. about that was really powerful. Um, and then, you know, we had Gil Martin talking about mental illness. Sure. And then got a lot of, we just set up some like fan interviews, we call them. We just like at the improv or we did it at Zany's in Chicago. We just said, you know, we're going to be at this theater for a couple hours. Come by. Of each of your show or of shows in general or how'd that work? We just took fans. We just told the fans, come by and we'll interview for 10, 15 minutes. And all of a sudden, this was the thing that changed while shooting that we weren't anticipating. We knew we were going to talk a little bit about mental illness with Gil Martin. Sure. But fans started showing up and then telling us on camera, you know, I suffer from depression or bipolar or whatever. And this is how podcasts have literally helped me or saved my life or whatever. And it was like, that I wasn't anticipating. Right. And, you know, there's an interview in there with a woman in Sydney, Australia, because we went to Australia and Japan. Really? Yeah. For the movie? Yeah. Ah. You got to watch it, Mark. You're in it. You got to check it out. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't do my research. I think it makes for a good, a better interview. Yeah. If I don't, you, you explain it to me. Oh, so wait, let me, let me reframe it. This is great. I'm in this. Uh, which, is, which is, I'm so, it must be good. Must be good if I'm in it. <laughs> yes, it's the glow of podcasting no documentaries, which, by the way, I loved. Oh, I loved, thank you. I love glow. Thanks, I man. I loved it. I was, Are you a wrestling fan? Uh, never been. I was in a, that era of wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So you go to Japan. You talk to people. Well, we connect. We talked to. So I was. I was going to say, yeah, a woman in Australia came in off the streets, didn't know her, and she just talked about how she was in like an abusive relationship, and. Pod, you know, she yeah. had to leave, and podcasting helped with her PTSD. And then we interviewed. You know, there was we. What had is a, it exactly that they point? Is it like just the constant companionship, the the talking about the people talking about themselves on podcasts? Like, because it's like there's something about you know ha- hearing conversations about real shit and about struggles and all that that really you know makes you feel less alone. What did you find after talking to so many people? Was the 
was the the thing was there one thing well it's that it's 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 a lot of things it's what you just talked about yeah. it's the it's the real conversations that are had but mm-hmm. also the the technology and how they're delivered yeah because you know most people are listening on like earbuds or, yeah so you're we're literally talking in someone's oh yeah you're right in there it's different than like if you're in your car and you're listening to talk radio yeah, yeah. even if it's a profound conversation it's still there's other right you got you got other things are open yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah. i think that was it in the the way i mean honestly again i learned so much and I, i'm not just i'm not just saying this but like when we when we were in post is when you interviewed obama right and that interview i listened you know i i don't listen to a million podcasts because yeah. i'm busy whatever but like that I don't one listen to any <laughs> I know people always go. What do you listen? To? I'm like, eh, cherry pick this one here and there. <laughs> I listen to music and myself talk. It's like, no, I know it's like all I do is talk. I got to yeah. listen to more of it. Yeah, but no, the Obama interview and we and and again, thank you for giving us a clip to put in the movie. Uh, I was listening to that. And I was like, God, I feel like I'm just hanging out having coffee with the goddamn president. Yeah, it's crazy. And that was like. Not that I hadn't listened to a podcast before, but I think going back to your initial question mm-hmm. of the thing that the fans resonated is you feel like you're just hanging out with humanizing. It's totally human because, you know, you've you and I have done a million TV mm-hmm. shows. TV is very slicked up and it's. Oh, yeah. Hey, all you're, right. You never know. You know? <laughs> like anytime I did TV for like 20 years five minute spots eight minute spots it's like that's not it's not a good representation of anything you get a few hits in (laughs) but you're not gonna get a that's all you're caring about like i get a i gotta get a hit gotta get a laugh in there that's it and then like you get off it's like well if you really want to see me stretch out that's what you gotta see yeah come see me do an hour and Mm -hmm. i'll you know right then you get and then you're not even doing yourself any favors with those fucking shows like because like sometimes you're so restricted that's like, no one's going to be like, I got to see that guy. They're, oh. like, they're like, that guy, that seems uncomfortable. Yeah, that guy was in some <laughs> clothing that he never normally wears. Yeah, he just bought that jacket, that guy. <laughs> that guy never wears a jacket. I stopped doing that. Yeah. Showing up on shows with new clothes. I just was like, fuck this. I know. It's because like, I look back on it, 90% of the decisions, I'm like, why was I wearing that? <laughs> what the fuck was I thinking? I know, it's so... And I think too, going back to the podcast thing, like we get to be so authentic doing this. Yeah. That then when you go, like I, I had some audition for something and uh-huh. I wore some dumb shirt. I was like, what the fuck? What am I doing? We get to talk about that. I, I, I knew a guy, some guy I just met, a neighbor was a clothing designer and he said he would make me a, a pants and a shirt for Conan. And he made me pants and a shirt and I wore them and they were fucking ridiculous. And I'm like, this guy made these for me. The the material of the shirt was like it was it's almost like it's something you'd make a like a, a a window shade out. It was like this thick, it looks stupid in these pants. They look like like punk rock wham pants. And I'm like, this is great. This guy knows what's up. And I'm like, your your chubby neighbor who you don't even know what his credentials are. His girlfriend came over and painted your house red. Like his his, his girlfriend was some sort of you know interior designer. She made my kitchen horrendous. And I, I don't know what the, but I did it. And now like, yeah, I can express that anger here on the podcast. Yeah, because you felt, and you felt physically, unco- like if you're wearing, it's just a human thing. If you're wearing clothes, you're not, I, what the fuck is wrong with me? And then comedy, 
we have to feel so comfortable. At least I do. I, I got to just T-shirt and jeans. And so then I'm in some collared shirt. I just feel like a fucking it's robot. weird, man. I don't like it. I got it. I feel like I don't even really own a suit, a new suit. Like I, I got one from a sponsor. Right. Uh, what, you know, whatever it's called, the Indochino or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I haven't really worn it yet. But like, I don't do we, I don't have a reason to wear them. Is this what we're talking about? I, I guess this is what we're talking about. Do you have a suit that you I have a suit, but like it's, a new one? It's t- no, it's ten years old. It's like from Men's Warehouse. It would look like a kid on Picture Day. Like I don't. What am I going to wear? A fucking suit. And then if you do a show where you got to wear a suit, like if you on a regular as a show, they'll, they'll buy you suits. Yeah, they'll buy you suits. I swear to God, dude, five or six of the suits I have are from a game show I hosted in nineteen. 19- like a VH1 game show. Never mind the Buzzcocks, which shot 13. They, no one saw it. Thank God. I was in. The, it was like 1999. I have them. That's when all the game. I I hosted two different game shows back then, late 90s, mm-hmm. or, and I I did 300 episodes of TV. You get the? Did you steal any of the clothes? Yeah, but it was all like you know. The first show I did strip poker with, so it was all these like bowling shirts with flaming dice on them, and it was just like <laughs> those are out. Those are way out. And then I did this show Cram, and I was somebody posted a video of it on Facebook, and I was like, oh my god, like Oof. khaki pants, yeah, some awful haircut. Yeah, I was just yeah. like, this is a this is a disaster. I'm, I was so lucky that no, there, there's no one has video of that thing. Oh. it doesn't even exist. Mark, we got to find it. I try. I'm, I, if somebody find copies of Nevermind the Buzzcocks, which is a British show. I hosted the American show. It was during the, the brief reign of when Zach Galifianakis was the image guy for VH1. There was this brief period oh, right. where he was like on buses and everywhere. He hosted this weird game sh- uh, talk show thing. Yeah, where he would like go to grade school. I remember him doing all this weird. Yeah, weird shit. And then the other, what, the other show was my show. And I didn't even understand the show. I didn't understand the rules of it. I knew nothing about it, but I did get some good suits and I was violently ill during the entire time we shot. How many episodes did you do? Like we did like 13 episodes and they were game shows. So we could do like two in a day, right? So it was like a week or so, week or two of the shooting. But I just had diarrhea and I was like sweating and I was like, my weight was weighed down. I was like too thin. And like, uh, so the suits don't even fit. Of course, so they're all baggy on One suit fits all right. They were, well, the suits don't fit me now because now I'm like regular weight. A Burberry suit, I think, still holds up. Oh, wow. That's the fucked up thing. It's like, I wore that on maybe my last Letterman. Like, I kept wearing those fucking suits. When I, you'd only do it on Letterman. That was the one you had to do it on. I never got any of those shows. So I just was like, I did, you know, everything I did was like Ferguson or whatever, where you could just, I I think, and I think I wore, when I did do those shows, it was when I was doing the game show, so I would wear some ridiculous bowling shirt. Yeah, this is good. uh, Someone bought it for me. Yeah, I didn't didn't dress myself. The first, my first Letterman, I went out and bought a Calvin Klein suit that was shiny. The fuck was I thinking? A shiny, (laughs) I'm wearing a fucking shiny, I'm like, this looks cool. And I'm like, it's a No, it doesn't. No. (laughs) too big on me. It's so stupid. Oh God! I, yeah, I, I like I, my hair was all sort of spiky. Yeah, Vince Vaughnish kind of uh, slicked yeah. up, and uh, it was uh, yeah. a lot of makeup. Thank too. Thank God for podcasts. Oh God! <laughs> I mean, it's just fantastic. 
So, okay, so the humanization thing, it helps yeah. people, yeah. it connects people. So so this is really like a kind of a, a an homage to the, the not only the medium, but the fans and it's, what it does. Yeah, it's it's more emotional. I, yeah. You know, some people, like, they hear podcasting documentary and they, they start getting bored because they think I'm just going to talk about RSS feeds or something like that. I really wanted to show the human connection and I wanted to show how it, us as, all of us, like people who, especially in LA, who were like comics for a long time that, that embraced it because yeah. of the empowerment of it. But yeah. then like the fans and the connection, like, you know, we had a fan at Comedy Film Nerds, this housewife from Japan, and we would talk about her on the show. We'd call her uh, yeah. Japan, Japan. Yeah. And then when the earthquake hit there, all these fans reached out to her on Twitter, like, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? And- you know, she tells us the story of going through that and these fans listening to podcasts when, you know, they were like, I just had some podcasts downloaded on my phone. The power was out and I had to walk through Tokyo for eight hours to get home because everything was down and your podcast got me through. And just like all this stuff where wow. you're like, really? Just me and Chris Mancini talking about, you know, getting mad at a Transformer movie is like <laughs> matters to somebody. It's getting you through yeah. the earthquake. <laughs> me yelling at michael bay for being a bad director i find that does it's like it just takes people's mind off of shit yeah yeah and it was so literally and now now we're like friends with these folks in japan it's it's it was it's been the coolest journey not just you know podcasting and doing the la Podfest and then the movie earbuds is like it's really it's 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 uh, it's changed my whole sort of view of of the world in a lot of ways. I yeah. think that the war zone when I the first documentary did too because being in war zones yeah. obviously changes your view. But this was like, you know, I, I didn't think podcasting would matter as much. Right. Like I remember doing a bunch of tours with Scott Kennedy in Iraq, and a, a, an officer said to us, you know, whenever you guys come through the fire base and do shows, the suicide rate drops. And I was like, oh wow, really? I, oh yeah. So I just always sort of you know put the war zone shows as sort of up on their own like nothing would attain be that powerful and then doing this documentary i'm hearing people tell me very similar stuff of like your podcast helped me i was gonna kill myself and i i loaded up a bunch of comedy pod you know like and you're just like god yeah i get some of those uh, you don't know whether like uh, am i supposed to i know how do i <laughs> what, do, what do i do i know uh. I, we, I, like if, if it's like I was gonna, that's fine. If it's I'm about to, I you know you're supposed to do something. Like, you know, <laughs> just like, you know, know, like one time we called the police, but there's no way to track where the person is. And but you know, a lot of times people just need to write shit down. Mm -hmm. You know, but it is nice. It is great. It is a community, and it is like it does do something. You know what I mean? It does help a lot of people because everybody is so goddamn like you know separated now and isolated mm -hmm. in a weird way and uh well i'm glad you did it and you know by the time i put this up i will have watched it so i'll go ahead and say this is a really good movie you did a good job with it that's kind of meta it's like reverse meta yeah this is this was great i'm saying this as because i'm gonna watch it <laughs> well that's good I hope you don't have to go back and edit and go, oh boy, Elwood made a fucking real, he made a real silver <laughs> no, suit I'll out just, of this one. I'll drop this in. <laughs> and then afterwards I'm like, man, was I wrong. <laughs> I, that was me you know, projecting the best. No, no. Yeah, I'm glad you did it and I'm glad to be part of it. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot. It's It was a, it was a cool thing. And again, like the- Where is it available? Uh, iTunes. Amazon, uh, everywhere, like vi video on demand, your oh, cable. Good. So, earbuds, the podcasting documentary. Thanks, Graham.
That was Graham and me. That was, I don't know. Like, that conversation changed everything for, you know, I didn't think badly of Graham, but now I feel, I feel, I, I, you know, it was, it was a nice, nice talk. Nice connection. Uh, the movie Earbuds, the podcasting documentary, is, as, I, as I said, available on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, and many other on-demand platforms. I'm sorry about my mouth. I got fucking five stitches in there, all right? Do I have a guitar pick out here? That's not for now. Think about that later. Talk about Kathy Bates now. Kathy Bates, I had opportunity to talk to Kathy Bates. I took it. Obviously, she's a great actress, and, uh, and uh, I've always uh, loved her work. And I found her intimidating, both on film and when she came to my house. So, I, I, you might, you might hear a little of that. I just, I was like Kathy Bates. She's intense. I'm, I'm a little nervous, I'm a little intimidated by Kathy Bates. But we had a nice conversation. I should tell you about her new TV show. It's a comedy series called Disjointed. It's now streaming on Netflix. It's very interesting. It's a like a, a traditional three camera show with that they shot in front of an audience. I found it jarring when I watched it, the audience. I'm going to tell Kathy that. Okay, so this is me and Kathy Bates. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. (laughs) Is this a a jarring situation to be an interview, to be interviewed in? No. Oh, good. No. It's it's happened before. You've uh, acclimated to the new media environment. Oh, yeah. Way back. (laughs) Oh, yeah? Yeah. Back Back in the day, I remember doing a radio thing before I was famous. I don't know why I was doing a radio thing in my hometown Memphis with Carol Burnett. And she was like, why am I doing an interview with this person? I think I was still in high school, so. <laughs> That's the only memory of it you have? Yep. That was Carol Burnett. You yeah. were at a radio studio, and you don't know why. And I have no idea why. I, 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 I can't remember. Were you acting in high school? Would there be a reason that we I don't know. Or maybe it was after, uh, hmm, I don't know. Everything back there is pretty foggy, so. Does it? Is it foggy? Yeah. It just starts to... Get hazy, it goes away. Well, huh? you know what? I live in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. some moments uh, vanish. Do you ever try to like get, <coughs> you know, find things back there? I find I do it more now. You like when I'm it? falling asleep, sometimes things will pop up and I'll think, oh, but um, yeah, you know, or you'll make connections between memories. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just rewrite them. Oh, that's what that meant. Oh, that's right. what that person meant when they said that. Right. Yeah. Years later. Mm-hmm. Is it so? You count. You come from Memphis. Yeah, I come from Memphis, Tennessee. I was born there in 1948. 1948. Do you have good memories about it? Um, some good. Yeah. Some very difficult. I mean, I think one of the main um, the main events in my life um, was that I was. Uh, Born very late in life. My father was born in 1900. My mother was born in 1907. 41 and, and 48. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and especially in those days yeah. in the South, because the South was sort of like 20 years behind the rest of the United sure. States, I think. And very, very conservative. And, and I think I remember my mother saying she was embarrassed to be pregnant at that age because they meant that she was having sex. <laughs> at that age. At that age. At, oh, that's. 
Oh, that's sad. I know. I mean, <laughs> the whole idea about sex. And then, you know, then you fast forward to the 60s. Right. When it was the sexual revolution. Yeah. And here they have a kid who's like all for it. And they're like, what? What is happening? Yeah, you went to a hotel and listened to guys play folk music. You sat on their bed and they were, you know, my friend Cherry <laughs> screwed the whole thing up. For some reason, she put her purse on top of the car when she was getting in. Yeah. So it fell off in the middle of the street. And that's how they found out we'd been there. To New York. Where'd and these go? are guys we met at Christian camp. <laughs> it was in Memphis. In Memphis, yeah. So, you know, it wasn't it wasn't easy for either side. I mean, it, we, it was really like growing up with grandparents, and my sisters had grown up by then. And oh, they were older than you. Oh, You're yeah, the youngest, fifteen and nine years older than I am. Oh, wow. So it was a whole. They were really the fifties generation. Yeah, yeah. You know, Andrew. and I was more the sixties, and so it was a, a real. Well, it was an upheaval in the country, so you can imagine what kind of upheaval it was at my house. I can't. Ima- yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> It. Like so, like when you're 15, it's like the Beatles and everything else. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my mother was cool. She said she she loved music and she thought I should get a guitar. And so um, I remember we went to Sears and bought a twenty dollar silver tone guitar, yeah. which I hear they're still actually pretty good. Sure. And I didn't know anything about um, uh, gauge strings or anything. They were right. really heavy, but yeah. I taught myself how to play. You did? Yeah. I loved it. And it was great and a great escape for me to get away from them. I can't imagine what the South, uh, you know, because the South is still a little uncomfortable in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, yeah. I mean, I know my mother, um, when she was dying, uh, she was, pro- was probably in, was it, probably it must have been in 97. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. She was she was in a coma, we thought, and we yeah. were at home, and so I was playing some of Ken Burns' music from the Civil War, and she was fine until they played the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and she started to shake and go, No. Yeah. Oh so it was, God. that's the kind of, you know, when I wanted to go to New York, it's like, you're going to go up there with all those Yankees, so yeah. it was still very much... You yeah. know, uh, and and in some ways, look, a lot of people have been writing about that nowadays. That it's really the Civil War is still alive and well. Yeah, it's well, clearly mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a bit of that going on. It's uh, it's a little frightening, but I I imagine that you know these na- these kind of rifts don't in countries. What do you? That's that that that's just going to be there. It was always there. So then every once in a while, it gets more voice than usual. Well, I felt that uh, naively that, you know, once education was, I mean, when I went to school, uh, we were segregated. Yeah. And my fr- I had my first African-American friend when I went to college. And Where'd you um, go to college? Southern Methodist University. Where's that? Uh, Dallas, Texas. Oh, yeah. And um, so <laughs> I remember I always tell the story about Texas when you when I went to open a bank account there, you could get either a set of dishes or a twenty two rifle. <laughs> so I was like, hmm, what shall I get? <laughs> I think I didn't get either one. So you didn't get the rifle. No, no, because I, I the only thing I know how to make is reservations. So the dishes would have been, you know, wasted on me. <laughs> yeah. I knew how to shoot a gun, but I figured can't, didn't, wouldn't use it on a campus. Did Little grow, did I know. Did you grow up with guns? Uh, yeah. My yeah. dad slept with a forty five Colt. I think he had it in the uh, army way back when, and uh, he had that by his bed. Till the very end. Yeah, yeah. Did you in your family? Did was there like a? Did you have? Was there generational history? You know, with the South. And oh with, God, yeah. I had cousins that were in the Civil War. Right. Yeah, we had a newspaper article about. Um, uh, we had cousins that 
the Yankees were um, were ensconced in the Gayosa Hotel uh-huh. in Memphis. Yeah. And apparently cousins of mine rode their horses up onto the porch of the Gayosa to route the Yankees out. Uh-huh. And then one of them fell off his horse. The other one ran back and pulled him up on his horse. And I mean, yeah, we go way back. And, and <laughs> yeah. actually, I'm our family's from, I was a, a member of the uh, Children of the American Revolution. So my mother was totally into genealogy. So, yeah. So you know all that stuff yeah most of it i mean my oldest sister has really all the copies of everything but it was a big deal and i think that was a southern thing the, you know, the daughters of the revolution yeah thing? it's like you know and now i'm realizing it was the whole ethnic thing sure which i didn't at the time american aristocracy or, or the the legacy of the original founders and that kind yeah of stuff. and since we weren't really the original ones and uh-huh. i didn't find that out till till late. <laughs> bury my heart it wounded right, me. right you didn't quite frame it the way it yeah might yeah it i liked been. what was kamala harris recently said What'd if you're say? not native american you're an immigrant <laughs> right yeah exactly yeah. so how did did you were when you were growing up, did you feel like uh, constricted when you went to uh, Southern Methodist? Were you like, "I'm finally out"? But that's Dallas; it's not. Yeah, well, it it was it was the theater department, though. Oh, okay. So that was a whole nother thing. Did you have to audition? No, you know what it was? There was a really, it was, I didn't have a clue when I was in high school. I remember in my senior year, people were talking about, where are you going to college? Where I'm going to apply to Harvard. I'm going to apply to MIT. And I was like, what? I don't get it. You know? (laughs) And they said, you've got, yeah, he said, you have to figure out where you want to go to college. And so uh, they had somebody from SMU coming to talk to people Uh in the library. And I thought, well, that's, that's convenient. Yeah. So I went up there and, and I said, that sounds good. My father nearly, had a heart attack. Why? What do you want? It was so fucking expensive. Oh. I mean, we didn't come yeah, from right. a lot of money. You right. know, he wanted you to go to state school. Yeah. Yeah. No, my mother wanted me to come back. I didn't get this, but my mother said, "Come back with an MRS." Which is and, what? Uh, Mrs. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I did the same thing. <laughs> and because my father always said, "We'll get you two years of college, and then um, you get a you, husband." And yeah, get on you with decide it? if you want to keep going. But what happened was, um, I went to. Uh, I went into the School of Humanities. I'd done plays in high school, but it just didn't click that you could that I could do that for a living. Did you love it though? Oh yeah, yeah. That's where I really felt at home. Really? Yeah. So what? So what happened was I was there for orientation, and I don't. I, I think his name was Kermit Hunter. I think he was dean of the School of Humanities. And we were having orientation, and he was giving a speech about how this was going to be, you know, the beginning of what you love to do in life. And suddenly, the whole playing field shifted for me, uh-huh. and I got very excited. And I started asking him about the theater and acting, and he got so exasperated that I kept interrupting him. <laughs> he gave me my folder. He what? said, you're in the wrong school. Go down the hall, last door on the left. Yeah. Of course, it's the last door on the left. Uh. And that's where you belong. So I went down and I opened the door and I was horrified. I mean, I I was so conservative. I had a little like... um, I had my penny loafers and my, I don't know, a little, you know, shirt waist flower and a little circle pen, my hair and a bob, you know, and yeah. I look in and there's these guys that look like you, yeah. you know, and I was like, what? <laughs> so I was so nervous about, I just felt so different. I changed was- my major back and forth like two or three times. And then I went to see a play and it was almost like they said later, like when gurus touch your solar plexus, yeah. uh-huh. I saw the play and I saw this wonderful actor and it was just like, and I said, inside me, it was like, 
I'm going to do this. I don't care if I have to change my name. Whatever it is I have to do, I'm going to do this. And from then on, I had just landed in Clover. You're all in. Yeah, and that's where Beth Henley studied, and she did Crimes of the Heart. Uh We had a great group, and we went from having a little theater up at the Rotunda to having a huge theater, and and Bob Hope uh, gave a lot of money. Where's this? This was in Dallas, and, and, you know, they had all the rich ladies. you stayed involved, or this was all when you were there? All when I was there, I studied. uh, But you did undergraduate and graduate? Or no, just, I graduated a semester early because my dad did have a heart attack, yeah. <laughs> actually. And But I had gotten extra credit doing theater up the coast from here uh, in Santa Maria at the John Hancock Center for Performing Arts. So we got eight hours credit each summer. So I had enough credit to graduate a semester early. And I went to New York and, you know, bunked with my friends and... After you know, college. After college. And what, so do you remember that what that first play was? <laughs> Uh, Queen Esther and the Yellow Ganders. That was it. Yeah, and the actor I saw was Garland Wright, who um, uh, was wow. brilliant, brilliant, and uh, he he actually directed Jack Hefner's play Vanities uh-huh. off Broadway in 1975, which really gave me my start. And then he went on to uh, to uh, replace Levi Chule at the um, Guthrie Theater, and has since passed away. Unfortunately, in, in Minnesota. Hmm. They have good a good theater scene up there. Oh yeah, for many many years. Yeah, it's a very you know kind of rooted thing. Yeah, it's serious theater. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so you do this all this work. Well, yeah, so so there's a lot of hippies around. Oh God, there? yeah, <laughs> beards, you know, and and the teachers too. No, no, the teachers were pretty conservative. Also, you know, Neiman Marcus wasn't far away. Uh-huh. And, you know, you had Kappa Kappa Gammas there who were like dressed to the nines. I couldn't, I could afford one cheap outfit from Neiman Marcus. You know, my, my parents really were tried you, hard to you get were me in a everything. For like, a day. I literally, we went for dinner. Well, I, the sorority that uh, wanted me to pledge was the yeah. only sorority that played touch football on the quad, so yeah. that wasn't so exciting. <laughs> but I remember walking in that first Monday for dinner, and all I could hear was 50 girls just talking at the top of their lungs, and I, I've never... I grabbed the president, and I'm like shy, right? Yeah. But I grabbed the president by the hand, I yanked her in the back room, and I said, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Well, we have a lot of girls that are in theater. I'm out. I can't be here anymore. I'm sorry. And I let because I knew I could not. I could not be in a room of girls screaming at the top of their lungs. I just couldn't. And pretend to sit down at dinner. I mean, I would just. I'd just take the knife and slit my wrists. You know. Do you- do you have that thing where you, are you sensitive to sound or was it just that sound? I think it was that sound. It must have been that sound. But it may be a knee-jerk reaction because I was in girls' school for a couple of years. Yeah. And the fun thing that we got to do on weekends was put on our hose and our panty you know, belts and whatever you call them and go f- for tea parties from sure. one house to the next. Yeah. So maybe I developed an allergy <laughs> at that point. <laughs> To a lot of women in one oh place. Oh my God! I just can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's just. It's not even. You can't even hear what they're saying, right? It's just a. a it's frequency. just. A, yeah. It's like geese in a field. <laughs> yeah. So when you move to New York, it's like it must be. What year is that? It's got to be like New York, and it's like grimy heyday. That's right. Nineteen seventy. <laughs> theater was dead. Was uh, it? Was it? I think the city was almost dead. In oh yeah, it was. It, there were so many derelict buildings. We lived on the Upper West Side. Uh, wasn't you had very done, safe. You had done some like what was the theater you were doing up north here? Like when you'd go away from school, 
during the school year when you were in college and you'd go get those other credits? You'd do. Oh, I did things. They had a wonderful program. They had a, a wonderful state. Um, the state gave them money to do this. They had a beautiful theater in the round. They had the best education. Where was this? Up in uh, Santa Maria. Uh huh. At the John Hancock Center, and uh, we went as apprentices, and they had you know actors who were real professional actors right. who were coming in. Yeah. So we got to do all the classics. We got to do Chekhov. We got to do the Greek theater. We got to do musicals, and it was just such a wonderful education. Wow. Yeah. And do, do you remember like your like did the teachers that you had uh, at that time as a as an actor did did they make an impact on you that lasted? I mean, oh, you, definitely. Well, do you feel like you learned most of what you learned? there yes i mean we had a teacher in college he was the head of our department dr hobgood we called him hob and they were very what i neglected to tell you before is we went from just a regular college you know theater department which was oh we'll go once every monday wednesday friday to a proper conservatory by the time that i left so they had movement voice you know the whole nine yards period styles while you were there all happened while i was there and it was from these rich ladies uh you know the oil ladies Uh in texas who were very involved in the arts and they were very supportive of the campus the meadows art school Uh and it wasn't just theater it was everything you know oh really oh yeah it was a huge complex and now they have the uh I, i think it's called the meadows museum it has the largest collection of spanish art outside the Prado and then the Bush Library is there. So you said uh, did they make the an teachers, impression? So yeah. the Hob would be the first one I think when he sat us down and said this is going to take you 15 years. Uh-huh. Uh it'd be just like if you were going to be a doctor or a lawyer, you've got to learn your craft. He said you've got to, you know, intern, you've got yeah. to go out and develop your, you know, your fan base but in, Was he right? Yeah. Yeah. To the day so 15 years, so at that time, so you're a couple years in when they bring in movement and they bring in all that stuff, the layered yeah. sort of uh, multi-tiered performing artist right. training. Yes. And you did all that? Yes. You did. We like, did even fencing. Fen- I was just going to say that. Yeah, you did fencing. we did fencing. We had a Hungarian fencing master, but we didn't have any places to do it except in the law quad. So that was kind of funny. But um, I remember when I uh, did one, I fought with Andy Traster and I... Um, I um I cut his shirt. Oh yeah, yeah, on his arm. It was like cool. Yeah, you know, <laughs> this is real. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> <laughs> so you did dancing and movement and all that stuff. Yeah, like ugh. so. Was there like did you do like mask work and all that kind of stuff? Oh yeah, I remember when I was up here, we did Greek theater and yeah. I sculpted a mask for Teresius and then you did all kinds of things. You did practicum, so you did sets and costumes and right. you learned everything. So, so this is a real theater. history, theater history, you know. All kind of stuff. And you loved it. I loved it. Yeah. So when you go to New York, what are your expectations? They were very high, and that that was some kind of a mountain to fall off of, I'll tell you. But what was it like when you got there? Well, like, it was like yeah. terrifying. I'd never been on a subway, and yeah. the, the seeing the subway come in was just horrifying. And and I, I just didn't. It took me such a long time to adjust to being there. I you can't know, imagine because it's well, really grimy at that time. I mean, just watch. I watched the first episode of David Simon's Deuce, The Deuce, which is this James Franco thing about porn in 1971, and, and right in and they're showing Times Square in 1971. And I have vague memories of it because I was a kid when we visited, but it was filthy and scary. And- okay, well, I'll tell you what we did. <laughs> yeah. 
um, we took those burlesque houses and turned them into theaters. You did. We we created Theater Row, the Lion Theater Company, uh, Playwrights Horizons, all these different groups now. And, On Forty Second Street. Yeah. No, we I've been there. I've been to Playwrights Horizons. Huh? I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. That we that whole thing that in fact we did a play vanities that I mentioned and at the beginning we're getting dressed and some old guy stuck his head in the door looking for the burlesque house and we had to say no we're doing a play here you know and yeah. but yeah. no we would go to these cold rooms and rehearse and we were well, so how did passionate. That, how did that evolve? Like what was that? How did that come together? That the movement that what that did that just sort of organically. I mean, I think. You know, it came from college for us because Garland, as I spoke about, uh, we we ran that department. He did. And, and Jack, they, they just let us run it because he was so innovative and he directed so many wonderful productions. In Texas. Yeah. He'd yeah. go to, they'd go to New York. They'd see the great plays and they'd come back and do them there. Yeah. And they were wonderful. And so the same thing happened. They continued that evolution. Uh, we did Music Hall Sidelights, which was a, a little known novel by Colette. It was beautiful. Uh, he did uh, Kafka, which was about Franz Kafka. Mm-hmm. He would, and, and, and they did it in all these different spaces along 42nd in Street. In New York. So he yeah. came back from so you knew him from Texas. Yeah. He'd come back. They were all you, we were all there. And so, oh, right. So you were. So there was a crew of you. Yeah, there was a whole crew. We were like called the Texas Mafia. But who are they? Who were uh, they? Jack Hefner, yeah. who wrote Vanities, Garland, uh, Gail Forsyth, who worked for a milliner, very famous costumer milliner there. Uh, who else? Uh, Roseanne Gates. We all shared an apartment. Uh, Roseanne became an agent. And then we all were supported, too, by going down to uh, the Humana Festival in Louisville, Kentucky, which supported a lot of... That's where Beth's play opened. Yeah. And when I was in the original production of that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're all in New York. And so, like, I, I would imagine that at that time, doing theater in those spaces was thought of as pretty experimental, right? Um. Yeah, we really had free reign to do our own. Are you all right? Uh, you getting the cat allergy thing going? No, I'm, I'm just my nose is okay. dripping. Anyway, um, excuse me, I'm sticking my finger at my nose. They were more the ones that were really engineering it, right. and I was just lucky to be a part of it. You know, to get to be uh, in the different shows and stuff. And I mean, we do crazy things like Jack had the, one of the first plays that Jack wrote before Vanities was yeah. called Casserole. Yeah. And it was about a kid who's been to New York and he comes back to his little town. Yeah. And they, it's the same thing. His, his family just doesn't get him. Yeah. Well, we had no place to perform it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there was a performance going on at one of those little things there. And so John Arnone, who was also into set designing, he was one of our group, they made a quilt yeah that f- flew in right before the other the other set, uh, stage the other set right so we could perform in front of it yeah there were always ingenious ways that that they came up with to do things for little or no money it's sort of great it's great because you got that training doing like big theater and knowing the you know ins and outs of all elements of theater, and then you take those skills and just apply them to whatever space necessary. Yeah, and Hob and and Jack Clay and and Clayton Karkosh and so many of the professors there uh-huh. uh, were really responsible for taking us seriously, but also giving us the skills to do what we needed to do. So your first, like, when did you start doing film and television? Well, actually, um, the first film I did was with Milos Forman. Um, he wow. was in New York, yeah. and quite, quite, um, it was sort of an odd thing. Bet, yeah. I mean, um, Gail, yeah. who I mentioned, yeah. who was one of my roommates and the milliner, uh, she was also a gourmet cook, and she was friends with John Guare, the playwright. I, I know that guy. Yep. 
And he's still um, around. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Milos was making his first American film, and apparently he had gotten into a really shitty deal with one of the big companies uh-huh. and ended up with no money, and had to do it with another company. And so he got John down there to help him write the, rewrite the screenplay, and. And they had no money, so Beth used to go down there and cook for them. Yeah. So my nickname was Bobo. Yeah. Uh, don't ask me where that came from, but so th- they were looking for girls who had written their own songs, um, but had never had them published and stuff. And she said, you know, they said, do you know anybody? And she said, oh, Bobo does. <laughs> so I went down, and I didn't know who Milosh was, so I didn't wasn't nervous, and I played him my song, mm-hmm. uh, which was about loss of innocence and everything, and. So he put me in the film, and, and you, Carly you, Simon's in the film. It's a wonderful film. It's called Taking Off, uh-huh. and it's about a girl who runs away uh, from home to be in a rock band, and it's still so current. It's wonderful. It's hard wow. to find it on CD, but it's worth it. It's around, though? Yeah. I mean, it, we made it in 1970. I think we got made $5 a day or something, but um, I loved the way Bruce uh, Buck Henry was in it, oh. Lynn Carlin. I mean, it was such a wonderful, and it was such a smart. Uh, take on on American life and uh, at that time, yeah. But it was also it's about you know living the dream. Yeah, but it's also realizing these people who were so worried about marijuana and rock and roll, and they invite the guy over, and he's making millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, and then they suddenly get the perspective on, and it was how everything was changing. Then. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. The business of being uh, yeah. a hippie, yeah, <laughs> celebrity versus sure. you know, sure. That's what happened at that time, I guess, after the 60s, after the, the real social movement died, it all became mainstreamed. Yeah. But were you surrounded by, you know, troubled people and <laughs> drugs and weirdos and freaks? Um, or were you pretty insulated with the working folks? Well, I finally got a job at the Museum of Modern Art. I went, I got jobs as a temporary, yeah. you know, secretary yeah. thing. And uh, the Museum of Modern Art has their uh, Christmas catalog comes out, of course, and you can order all these cards and stuff. So they always hire a lot of temps. And so I got in that way. And then they asked me to stay on. And I used to count the money that they took in, you know. And um, I met this guy, Phil, Phil Bowditch, who worked in the mail department. Uh And he was a wonderful guitar player. So we hung out together and, you know. Yeah. That was fun. And uh <laughs> but we tried playing the guitar together and, and oh, to go yeah, and yeah, go we went around yeah. that black pussycat and a couple of other places, uh-huh. you know. But I was not nearly as proficient on the guitar as he was, so And but you used to sing? <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yes, I did, but I doubt I can do it very well now. Although, you know, with my show, um uh, I do sing a little bit on our show, Disjointed. Disjointed yeah. yeah, and uh, actually, Chris Martin donated. They got a big D four twenty that they make now, and and you can look it up online on their their website. And the front is covered with all of these marijuana things. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's such a beautiful guitar. <laughs> so he gave it to us to use for the show, and uh, it's so lovely to play that I started getting back into it. Oh, that's so great. I see you play. I do play. Yeah, I've kind of played you know qu- you know quietly all my life. I don't. I never. I don't really play out that much or anything. But I like to do it. Yeah, it's great. It's a great thing to have. Yeah, it's, for I, me, it's like meditation, really. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm starting to get back into that. Actually, I. I bought a Collings acoustic, but then I also. I found this thing. I love to buy. Uh, I love to go to uh, this shop in New York. Yeah. And um, I found uh, this really cool gar- uh, guitar called uh, um, the Moonstone Eagle. I think. Uh-huh. Beautiful. It's yeah, shaped it's like an eagle. Yeah. Oh really? It's really beautiful. Wait, oh, electric. 
Oh, yeah? Yeah. Are you going to get it? I got it. Oh, you did? <laughs> I got it with a Princeton reverb, okay, you know. Good. So <laughs> Yeah, so you're jamming. So I'm, re- I'm ready, man. I'm ready. <laughs> you putting a group together? No. <laughs> the group I'm putting to is the disparate groups that are in my head <laughs> okay. and my fingers. Pulling them know? all together? Yeah. Did you continue to study acting or did that, or, or did, was that you were done when, well, once you got to New York? you know, that's interesting, too, because after... After Vanities was a success in 75, I came out here. That was your big break in theater. Yeah, and I I came out here, and um, I just decided uh, that I didn't know enough yet about what I was doing, and I thought that it was a little shallow out here, you know, that I felt... Was too too business? No, it was, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it was something I couldn't perceive, but... That part of it I couldn't, but I remember yeah. testing for Three's Company, uh-huh. and it was just not my <laughs> my thing at the time. Now, here I am doing a sitcom, so I have to eat my words, but back then, yeah. I really felt it was the wrong step. So sure. I went back, and that's when I started working in Actors Theater, and I felt like I needed to continue to evolve as, as an actor, and so by you, doing that, you practice. What's Actors Theater? Who was, who was, who Actors was, Theater of Louisville was John Jory's company. Oh, that, okay, so that's where you started. Yeah, yeah, and back in the 80s, yeah. That and that was, was in New York early, as well? No, that was in the early 80s in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, when did you do a Straight Time? Oh, Straight Time was uh, out here, actually. I did that in 76, I think. I kind of like that movie. I thought it was a great movie. It's great. It's I don't great. Know, like, I watched it not too long ago. It's a, it's a very kind of a tough story. I know. Yeah. Well, and he, Eddie Bunker, I remember yeah. him coming to the set. You know, it was his story. Oh, okay. And I remember it was the first day that he had never been wanted by any... Law enforcement? Yeah, yeah. in his life. Uh-huh. But I remember him leaning up against the refrigerator, and then he was just gone. Uh-huh. And his cigarette ash got longer and longer, so I guess he had, you know, was doing a little celebrating there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little opioided, uh-huh. opioided uh, celebrating. Yeah. And how much did you talk to Dustin Hoffman at that time? Uh, we talked a lot. Yeah. He was great. Yeah. He was, he's really, he loves what he does. And um, he, he, I remember him taking me by the hand and saying, there's the camera, you know. <laughs> and But but I also yeah, remember yeah, yeah. being on set with him and they turned around to do my part in this dinner table scene and I got really nervous and I had the presence of mind to say to him, I'm really nervous. Yeah. What do I do? You know, and he said, can you hear Owen setting up the shot? Uh, that's Owen Roysman, one of the best yeah. guys in the world. And I said, no. And he said, well, listen. So I started focusing on what was going on. Yeah. And it, now it reminds me of a very famous quote by Konstantin Stanislavski. Uh-huh. The secret to an actor's creativity is the object of his concentration. Uh-huh. So I concentrate on the other actors, I concentrate on a prop or whatever it is, and that's my focus. That's where I get my creativity. Like when I worked on Fried Green Tomatoes, Jessica Tandy gave me my performance. You know, that's sure. a, It's a high wire act. And when I was sitting there with Dustin, when I relaxed, he knew. And he said, that's it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, he's just so supportive. And I did a little movie with him a couple of years ago, and... He, we, t- we were talking about, we remember the um, the audition that we had together, you know, and... Uh, For a straight time? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was cool. It was so go- cool to see him, and we had done another tiny thing with Dick Tracy, and he had just won the Academy Award for, um, I think it was for Rain Man. Uh-huh. 
and he'd been up all night long and he had to do all this makeup sure and he still and he had a he had in his hand the shakespeare of Mar- merchant of venice uh-huh. and i thought jesus christ man this guy he's it, all he wants to do is be in it he's yeah. just in it he yeah. loves it oh yeah and, and did you was that inspiring yeah <laughs> yeah when you work with somebody like that that you've admired and you see what they're really like when they're dealing with the craft uh-huh. or with jessica tandy or people who have maintained their joy in the craft for years and years and years it inspires you to keep your light bright and you know and keep sure. going yeah so. the craft i get i guess because like i i've done some acting recently and it's it's interesting because once the cameras go on, there's a lot of downtime in between cameras going on, cameras going off. So to maintain that focus and to really look forward to that moment, I mean, that's what it's all about, I guess, huh? Yeah, you don't uh, socialize. No socializing. No. No. I mean, I remember hearing, I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but that when Daniel Day-Lewis did Lincoln, that he had oh, yeah, everything fold. closed off so that he could stay in that. Yeah. Because you can't just turn things off like that. You can't. You can experience it yourself and know that... If, if you're screwing around with somebody and talking and everything, you can't you can't get in it. And Dustin used to always say, "You need to be plugged in, mm-hmm. you know, and you need to stay plugged in." And and you it, you're you're working. You're not there yeah. to you know hang out with other people. And you got to focus on what it is you want. It's not just your lines. It's just it's you know how you play a scene. It's who you're working with. It's all you want to stay focused. It's the characters. All of that stuff. So what do you do when you're when you're on a set and you're not you're not on? Oh, I, I I just talk to everybody and have a great time. <laughs> no, no, I try not to. Um, I yeah, I I try to stay off in a corner if I have to. Do you? you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but I mean, can't you do that? Like when you've got like you know, fifteen twenty minutes before you shoot, or do you have to do that the whole? What are time? you a weenie or something? You no, can't. I'm asking you because I'm, I'm asking for my own advice. Really? You know, yeah, yeah. Because I gotta. I mean, I gotta go. I gotta shoot something in, in October. You know, the second season of a show. So when I talk to actors, I'm always curious as to because I I come from comedy. I'm not really an actor, trained actor. So any. What is I, your focus when you do comedy? Well. I just try to be as present as possible and and do the material and connect with the audience. There you go. Your audience is the the secret to your creativity. Yeah, right. So you know how to do that. Yeah. So they just put substitute the person you're working with, the, with. Exactly. But I think like what I was talking about is just that like the you know in between takes you know sometimes like you try I I think I innately try to stay in it and I think that you probably do too. But like I I don't cloister myself away. I mean I kind of do. Well, it depends. You know, with I did a very difficult scene in Primary Colors, and I you're great in that. That's a great movie. Well, it, it, there was one scene that was really really difficult, and um, I cloistered myself away for that. Oh yeah, yeah. which one? Which scene? Well, we did uh, the scene in the truck. Yeah, and uh, where she's getting ready to commit suicide, but we don't know yet, and we had to break it up we had to do the interior on the set and the exterior in new orleans a month later oh. so that was kind of tricky yeah. you know and you have to do it from a bunch of different angles oh, that's right so i really cloistered myself and it was mike nichols who i love so much and i'm just god rest him um i wanted to do super well and mm-hmm. i it was an a plus production and i i mean not that you don't want to do everything great but it was especially important to me with that caliber of work and the script by Elaine May and, and um, Emma and everybody. It's just I, I, I wanted to rise to the occasion. It was a wonderful part, and yeah, I wanted to do it right. it was a great right. part, yeah. yeah. That was, I remember now. It's a heavy scene. Yeah, it's a very heavy scene. Yeah. 
So that, like, you've worked with a lot of great directors. Yeah, I've been lucky. I've had some bizarre directors and bizarre projects. I mean, you look back and it's called making a living, (laughs) you know. (laughs) But you you worked with Altman real early on, right? And uh, and, and was that, how was that? Um, He's, he, God rest him, he he was a real character. He was tough. He could be very tough. He could be very caustic. You know, he knew exactly what he wanted. Um, Cher was in the play with us, and um, come back he, to the five and yeah. Dime. Yeah, and he uh, he thought we were going to do the play at night and shoot the movie during the day. And I I just said, "Are you out of your fucking mind?" <laughs> I said, "I just," and he was very upset that yeah. I was against it. You yeah. know, but yeah. we shot the movie in four weeks on right. the soundstage, and yeah. and just you know, it was punishing. But that was after the play was over. So did, did he let you? Yeah, people tell me he lets you watch the dailies and you can see. Stuff. Yeah, you have a big party. Yeah. He shoots uh, French hours, you know, yeah. and then uh, no break for lunch. Right. But then he has quite a spread, and you all go in and watch. It oh, was kind of funny. That's nice, right? Yeah, it was very fun. Oh, good, good. Did you do soaps? Uh, very, very early on, I did. When you when you first started out in New York, right? Yeah, you know, it was okay. It wasn't my cup of tea. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been a, a whole different career. Yeah, it would have. It's just like it's. I wasn't pretty enough. <clears throat> but well, you just had like uh, occasional episodes where you do this stuff. Yeah, and... we just did. You know, I played a dyke in prison with. Uh, God, is that on PC now to say you can, dyke? You can say what you want. Okay. <laughs> well, she you was. Say it with love. She, uh, yeah, she was a dyke. Uh-huh. She was in prison, and she was the nemesis of Erica. You know, I'm gonna but, take my jacket off. It's fucking hot in here, man. All right, all right, man. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, but okay, so let's talk about, I just read something about, you won the Oscar for Misery, big career changer, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember going to a party. I, I live not far from um, Ned Beatty. Oh, And Ned I remember Beatty. going into his house, and the minute I came in the door, he put his hand on my head like yeah. a preacher and went, yeah. heal! <laughs> heal! Because, you know, after you win an Oscar, you never, you know, work again. Uh, I think that that has changed, but... Uh, yeah, it was hard to get a good part after that. Really? Yeah. Well, that's crazy. Well, you know, when you think about it, though, it's very unusual for for a woman to have that kind of a lead in a movie. Uh huh. Unknown. Yeah. You know, unattractive. Wow. Really know. fucking nuts, and yeah. you know, it, it's very un- unusual to have that. So I was very lucky. Yeah, I just read something that that Stephen King that your character was uh, a, a physical manifestation of his cocaine addiction. Are you serious? Yeah. Well, that's... I have to... Hold on. I I have to process that. Hold on. I'm going to read the quote. The question to Stephen King was, I'm trying to comprehend how you lived this whole secret life of a drug addict for eight years, all the while churning out bestsellers and being a family man. And he said, well, I can't comprehend it now either, but you do what you have to do. And when you're an addict, you have to use. So you just try to balance things out as best you can. But little by little, the family life started to show cracks. I was usually pretty good about it. I was able to get up and make the kids breakfast and get them off to school. And I was strong, had a lot of energy. I would have killed myself otherwise. But the books start to show it after a while. Misery is a book about cocaine. Annie Wilkes is cocaine. She was my number one fan. Wow. Wow. What do you think of liar, that? Liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> because I just, <clears throat> there was just an article in The Guardian about him, and I remember he refers to Annie as Scheherazade. Uh-huh. You know, and then he realized he's Scheherazade having to come up with all these chapters uh-huh. every time for her. Uh-huh. And that he also looked at her as being 
a bee, like a queen bee. Ah. So maybe all of that is really fucked up. Sure. Cocaine like sure. images. Yeah. Does that change the way you see her? In I gotta wrap my head around it. I, it's kind of hard, right? Yeah, I gotta, I gotta do some thinking about that. What, wow. What was the process of that working with Jim Kahn, Jimmy Kahn, James he, Kahn? He's one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire really? life. That's yes. good to hear. Yeah, funny, great guy. He's he's doing so well these days. Um, he was he was, you know, it was the worst thing to ask Jimmy to do was to lie in that bed. <laughs> Yeah, because he, he wanted to be up and around. He's he's like the most. I, th- I think he can do every sport mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah, and so they actually hired a guy to play basketball with him so that it could keep oh, him keep... active and keep the blood going. <laughs> really? Because yeah. he hated lying in that bed. Yeah. But my mother loved him in the movie. She said it looked like he was watching a snake. <laughs> he like, was like, yeah. He just was like he wasn't sure where she was going to go next. Well, that was one of those great things to see him work like that. Yeah, because like that was one of those career changing. You know, you never saw him like that. No. To be that vulnerable and that, you know, out of control and scared. He's a wonderful actor. He is. I always loved him. Yeah. Especially as they get older, they seem to have less invested in the image. Yeah. And they can kind of work differently. Well, see, that's what I like about working as an older actress. And and that's why sort of more than one reason that I scoff at ageism. Because let's face it, the more you do it, the better you are. What did Mel Gibson say? Just when you have it figured out, you're not good looking enough to do it. (laughs) You know, but thank goodness, you know, on shows like American Horror or whatever, Ryan's always, you know, uh, loves Movie star actresses, you know, but actresses, really wonderful actresses. I think one of the people that he he uh, interviewed first as a young man was Betty Davis. Uh-huh. And, uh, of course, he did that wonderful feud last year. And You had a part in that, right? Tiny, tiny part. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but I just thought Jess and, and I thought Sarah, I mean, uh, Susan were just wonderful. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. But see, being older like that, yeah. I just think it's like good wine. Yeah. Well, I mean, or good how, tequila. How are you not going to get better? You know, when you get comfortable and you get deeper and your wisdom is different and your, you know, whatever you go through as life in life kind of informs, you know, your craft and how. As how... long as you stay humble. <laughs> and don't become a monster. No, it's just if you got to the, if you get to the point where you think I got this. Yeah. And I walk mean, through it. Yeah, I remember doing. I remember shortly after Misery doing a little thing for Shelley Duvall for her children's uh, children's program, uh-huh. and I asked her something about the character. She said, "Well, well, I, I, you just won an Academy Award." I said, "Yeah, but not for this part." <laughs> you know, to me, you got to start from scratch, and yeah, you can, you know, how to play your instrument. You yeah. know, your guitar, your sure. fingering's pretty good, sure. but you still got to learn the song and you've got to figure out how you're going to deliver it and, you know, bring it into being and all of those things. And you, you start all over and it's a mystery. Otherwise, if you don't look at it that way, you're just skating on the surface. You're just sitting in the plane with the blocks on the wheels. Is every relationship with a director different? Yes. It's like veterinary medicine. <laughs> Actually, I think directing is more like being a veterinarian. But, for example, on Misery, Rob helped me with every bit. Every bit of it. Reiner did, yeah. Yeah. Well, he's an actor, and he's a sure. wonderful... He, he's he got a great ear, and uh, 
you know, he he's just he's a great communicator and 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 but then sometimes you're out there on your own and you know, I, I kind of in general look at it like you you're in a space pod, you're out there in space and you need Houston. I mean, you got yeah. you got I, I need help, you yeah. know, and and uh, but other times sometimes you got it and you say director says, "Can I help you?" and I say, "No, I think I got this." You yeah. know. Yeah. So I guess it depends on the the depth of the work that you're doing and right. you know, the genre and then the uh what's expected of you, but but like doing something like uh, Titanic, like which is like I imagine all mostly in a studio, right? No, it was um, actually they built uh, a seven eighths replica of the ship oh, yeah. uh, along the coast in Baja. Uh huh. So you're and, out there in the water? No, no, no. We were up um, on the, uh, the the promenade. Uh-huh. That was a trip the first time going up in the elevator and then opening the door, and it's 1912. Yeah. Everybody in their costumes walking up and down. I couldn't see the cameras at that point and I, because I was just visiting the set. And I was like, holy crap. You know, this That's is wild. real. I mean, everything that he did was amazing. Yeah. And How'd you uh, get that part? Uh, I don't know. I think they offered it oh, to yeah? me. Yeah. That's great. I can't remember. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing what he accomplished with that movie. Yeah. And you were, that was a great part for you. It was a good part. Although I was upset in that the real Molly... Uh, did go back for swimmers for people who were in the water I mm-hmm. mean swimmers victims yeah. and ended up they pulled a guy in and she gave him her fur coat uh-huh. so it bothered me that you know the license was taken that oh, she yeah. couldn't get the guy to go back so because oh. actually she was quite a hero so yeah it's revisionism in a, in a negative way yeah and that way. so often happens and I don't like that where they just take a character and they fictionalize it yeah or yeah. they, but it's in. It takes the character, and instead of respecting what they did, they it, it's in service of the greater good, which right. is the film. Which is which they're is, making a film. They don't really care about you know who's going to look up Molly Brown and say, oh wait, she gave somebody her fur coat. Yeah. nobody's going to do that. Yeah, well, they, but it, yeah, but it's sort of horrible. Like if the family, you know, like because that's the biggest movie in the world. Because so much now, you know, reality has become movies. Yeah. And it's how a lot of young people especially get their history. Yeah. (laughs) They think, oh, this really happened. And you go, "Uh, no, this is a movie. Yeah. I know you direct, but do you want to do that more? It doesn't look like you've done as much as- I'd like to. You know, I I wanted to get back. Actually, I wanted to do an episode on American Horror Story this summer, but it conflicted with Disjointed. So and and Ryan has really made a pledge to um, hire more women directors and more women on the crew. Uh, he really feels that there's a d- discrepancy. And which shows this? American, American Horror, Horror Story. Story. Yeah, yeah, and his others, you know, American yeah. Crime and, yeah. and stuff like that. So he's going to do more. And what have you directed? You've done a few. Like, I did. TV. Um, I did a couple of movies. I did one uh, called Dash and Lily, which was about Dashiell Hammett and Lily Nailman and mm-hmm. Samuel Shepard, Sam Shepard, who just passed away, uh, and, and Judy Davis. Um, and uh, She's a trip. Oh, she's amazing. Have you interviewed her? No. I haven't seen her in a while. So I did that, but mainly my, my, uh, my most fun directing was... Uh, in Six Feet Under, I directed about five episodes of that. Uh-huh. And so I learned a lot working on that. That was such a great looking show. Wasn't it? A yeah. lot of theater actors. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, who who produced that? Who was the there was Alan Ball oh, and right. also Alan Poole was our- Alan Ball. And Alan Poole was our uh, our, our uh, producer on set. He's fabulous to work with. We're still friends. Oh, that's great. <clears throat> and theater, do you want to do it anymore? 
Um, well, I kind of feel like I'm getting my fix with doing Disjointed. It's, uh, I know. I was surprised it's in to front see of a that, live that audience. it was a, like a live audience In show. fact, you know, if there's any, I know you have a big following. I would just like to put it out there that this is not a laugh track. It's a live audience. Yeah. I, it was surprising to go on Netflix. And like, at first I thought it was an effect. Like, what, what's the angle here with the live audience? And I'm like, holy shit, they're shooting in front of yeah, live audience. Yeah. And for me, that's great. You know, I love, I, you know, I mentioned uh, working up in Santa, Santa Maria way back when and I have to say the first night uh, I was sitting in my little chair off uh, off stage while they were shooting something else and yeah. it just reminded me of the days when I was there lying in the vomitory oh, yeah. watching shows sure. you know and learning and I just everything just relaxed I don't know why it just feels really like home for me and so in in both ways of working with young actors and seeing because that you know the craft itself evolves yeah so when you see the young actors who are really much more minimalistic these days really yeah yeah and how's that how's that play out like what do you mean um they managed to it used to bother me because they don't really speak up yeah but everything is much, much more naturalistic, even more so than Brando. Or I mean, it just gets more and more. Really? Yeah, they're just more. It, it, it's it's rare to see them really bust out unless uh-huh. they're given the opportunity. Like uh-huh. Johnny Depp can just crazy bust out and do all these great sure. characters, yeah. you know. And I'm sure I can think of other guys too, but. But um, he can go soft too. He can go really yeah, soft. Yeah, exactly. He's a pretty good actor. Oh, he's fantastic. It's kind of wild, right? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> but you're working with young people. And- I love working with them. It's a great cast, and also Nicole Sullivan, who I loved on Mad TV, and she was trained to do Shakespeare. Uh huh. And she's this brilliant comedian. Tone Bell, who's a wonderful stand-up. Chris Red, who is uh, also wonderful. He and Betsy Sedaro, they, these guys, especially Chris and Tone, they travel all over the country and do their act. Yeah, you know? I, I don't know them, but I... Oh, I, you will. Yeah. The show is like, <laughs> I, it was, it's, a, it's a shtick show. I mean, it's jokes. I mean, you do, you're doing jokes. It's joke to joke, and the characters are very well-defined, and it's about weed. But there's also these weird sketch elements, like uh, commercial parodies and animated like head trips and stuff. Yeah. It's kind of, it's it, it was it, it was a surprising show. It's, it's, it's whacked. Yeah, it's different. You it's know? out there. Yeah. And I think also, you know, in the first 10, it's, it's um, it, it takes a while to find our footing, you know, in a new show and bring yeah. the cast together and stuff. And by the last 10, I think we're really firing on all cylinders, you know, and the next 10 that are coming up, which we've already shot that are coming up in April uh-huh. are just off the fucking charts. Oh, yeah. oh my God. The, <laughs> some of the cast that are coming in to be a part of the show are just, I mean, it's its so exciting. I can't wait for people to see it. We're waiting to hear if we get picked up for another season, so all well, fingers crossed. Well, they're going to run all the ones that you, that have you Oh, have sure, they the will. Can. They will. So this would be, how many seasons have you done? Two then? Just one. Oh, just one? But yeah. you shot a second one or you didn't? Well, they were calling it one season, so okay. we're doing ten now, and we have, I mean, they're airing ten now, and they'll air ten, um, in April. So 20 is one season. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like regular TV. It's a lot of shows. Yeah. <laughs> and you it's like doing so it. It's so fun. It is? Oh, it's so fun. And it's, I mean, it's just, I've never worked on a set like this where it's all just 
it's just cooking and everybody's on level playing field. There's no like backbiting or, you know, pressure or yeah. it's just fun. You know, we had yeah. some great directors. Jimmy Burroughs did the pilot and and Richie Keene has been working with us. He's great. And, you know, it's just been Jamie Widows. We've had some wonderful directors. And uh, so I, I want more. So outside of the outside of the TV show, what what are you doing movies too? I'm getting ready to do a movie um, called On the Basis of Sex, and it's actually based on uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's earliest days and uh, how she you know went to school, her husband, and her life up until when she begins her trying her first case before the Supreme Court. Oh wow! I've never. I've, that's a great story. I, I don't, don't know anything about it. I'm playing a person named. Uh, Dorothy Kenyon, who was very big in the ACLU mm-hmm. and and uh, a wonderful lawyer. And it's really, I, I was studying last night that it's really the fight for women ab- about becoming recognized and as a, as as equal to yeah, men. Right. And the thing they used was the jury system. Were women obligated to serve on the jury, or was it a privilege not to serve on the jury? Interesting. You know, because women really, and this goes back to my parents. Yeah. Um, if my mother had wanted to leave my father, she wouldn't have been able to get her own bank account. She wouldn't have been able to do, you know, uh, this, that, and the other. I mean, they were really considered the heart of the home, mm-hmm. and they needed a man's protection. And that patriarchal yeah. structure is something that we are really still fighting in terms of equal pay. Right. But... um Felicity Jones is going to play Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and mm. Armie Hammer's playing her husband. Mimi Leader's directing it. We're going to shoot it up in Montreal. I'm really excited about it. Um, my mother being born in 1907 and going through all of that, yeah. doing the research has really helped me get a different perspective on her point of view uh, being a woman going through those years. Right, and seeing what was going on yeah. in, in, that, in, yeah. in another part of the world during that time. Yeah. Huh. That's amazing. That sounds like a great story. It's a wonderful story. And how is your health? My health couldn't be better. That's great. I'm it's I'm just so lucky, you know. I uh recently went for a checkup and and my doctor said I haven't seen you this healthy in years. You look great. Thanks. I've dropped a lot of weight. Yeah. And uh, I've got a lot of energy and um So what were the battles? What what did you kick? Well, it was gradual. It was over a period of a few years. Yeah. I got really, really heavy when I was doing Harry's Law. I was miserable. And I, I just, um, and then when after I got breast cancer a few years ago, I, I guess I, I just started slowing down and uh, in terms of what I was eating. Uh-huh. And I stopped eating the junk and yeah. I cu- cut out the Coca-Colas and stuff. But then the thing that really helped me uh-huh. is I realized that, and this my, my niece told me this, and it's actually on the internet, that there's a biological thing that happens when you're eating. Uh-huh. You sigh. At a certain point after you've had a bit of food, yeah. there's this involuntary deep sigh. Yeah. It happens to all of us. Yeah. And it's our brain telling our stomach, okay, we've had enough. Yeah. And that's what I do. And if it's, this, oh. even if it's two bites, yeah. I say, okay, I push it away. So it's not time to plow ahead. No, it's not <laughs> time to plow ahead, so to speak. <laughs> and so, and then I, you know, I, early on when I was doing that, I left the plate there thinking, okay, if I get hungry, I'll eat some more. But then I waited maybe five, 10 minutes and I didn't want anything. Oh, that's good. 
So that's what I've been doing. And now I realize it's called mindfulness and all this other sure. stuff. But And so that's what I do. And the other part of it is consistency. Yeah. You know, and that's what's been different for me is like this last year doing the show because, you know, craft services is always there. Uh. I'm the only person who didn't gain ten pounds. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you do you really? Oh, so you held the line? Oh yeah, I held. It was the I, first time in my career, and I don't know why it's been so late for me to get to this, but it's great. Better though. late than never. And so. cancer free for a long time. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Not, Congratulations. Knock wood. That's great. Well, I'm so happy we 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 talked. Is this it? No, we don't. Well, I'd like to talk more. Do you want to talk more? You know, I want to say something. Oh, and I prepared I for you. No, no, I prepared for you. Did I screw up Because I thought you, I thought you might get into what's happening, you know, in, in terms of politics sure. and stuff. I'm ready. So um, I've really stayed out of it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But after the last few days with the, DACA. the, the decision with DACA coming down... I would like to, I know you have a lot of listeners, yes, and I would like to send a message to them Okay. to um, to send to their representatives, sure. to Congress, and I'm happy to, to do that. President. Yeah. And this is from the, the mer- Merchant of Venice, Okay. Act 4, Scene 1, The Quality of Mercy. And I'm not going to try to do it like a British actor here, and I'm going to even tell you what it means, because I, I bet a lot of people don't understand Shakespeare. But I tried to. I've had uh, uh, Ian McKellen sat right there oh, and did Shakespeare for me. Well, and, and see, I got it. All right. Well, I of I'm course not, you not. do because he can't. He gets it. So I mean, I get <laughs> I'm it. Not and judging I, and, you. I'm not, and I can't do his accent. I, don't I love him. He's brilliant. <laughs> oh, talk about developing your craft. Well, I'm okay. just talking like I don't. I, I don't always register. Shakespeare's difficult for me. All right. Well, I can. I can give credit to. I looked up also. No Sweat Shakespeare, mm-hmm. which is online, okay. and, it, and, it, and it tells the translation in modern day. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm just going to read part of it. And this is what I'd like to say to Congress and the President. Okay. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throned monarch better than his crown. His scepter shows the force of temporal power, the attribute to awe and majesty, wherein doth sit the dread and fear of kings. But mercy is above this sceptered sway. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute to God himself. And earthly power doth then show likest gods when mercy seasons justice. Okay, what that means in everyday English, again from No Sweat Shakespeare, the quality of mercy is not strained. It drops onto the world as the gentle rain does from heaven. When you say it's not strained, it's not forced. Yeah. It's free. Yeah. It's doubly blessed because it blesses both the giver and the receiver. It's most powerful when granted by those who hold power over others. It's more important to a monarch than his crown. His scepter shows the level of his temporal power, the symbol of awe and majesty in which lies the source of the dread and fear that kings command. But mercy is above that sceptered power. It's enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute of God himself, and earthly power most closely resembles God's power when justice is guided 
by Mercy. I'm just like sick every day of what's happening. And um, and I, you know, it's just heartbreaking and scary and awful. And I and I, I hope that something like that could get through to people. I've been finding a way, trying to find a way to not buckle under that fear that many of us are feeling now mm-hmm. uh, every day. I read the New York Times. I read all kinds of things. And it's almost like I don't want to read yeah. it, but I need to know what's it's happening, happening sure. and I've, re- re- I've resisted talking about political views and and, I, and then in, I don't know when this came to me but I thought that's what we need is mercy look at the the Mexicans the Mexican army coming across the border to help people in Texas after that horrible rhetoric that's been slung at them in their country Look at what they've done. Look what they did to help. Look what immigrants did to help rebuild New Orleans. Yeah. We need to be merciful to one another and be compassionate because we're all in the same boat. We certainly are. And it's just like in, in ugh, the polarization and the intensity of the rhetoric is so brutal that like when you just go out and you see what other people do and see who they are and what they're made of, you know, really, you know, then that's where you see it. You can't be distanced from it. Well, I wonder, I, I I once went back to SMU. I was given an honorary doctorate, and it was an honor to meet Gloria Steinem. Mm-hmm. I've talked to her. She's nice. She's amazing. Yep. And um, I remember I gave my speech, and I, I could only talk about it from my point of view. And it was at the time that Bush was going into the Middle East, and it was really scary. And um, But my mother used to always say, you know, you, um, you can't judge someone until you've walked in their shoes for sure. A moon, you know, and so I talked about that, and and afterwards I asked Laura. I said, "Did I do okay?" And she said, "It was very subversive." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Why?" And she said, "Because if you can empathize with someone, it makes that much harder to kill them." <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for talking. You're welcome. All right, that went pretty well. It was an honor to meet Kathy Bates, to be honest with you. I want to play guitar, but I got to find a pick. 